0: Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now, here's Alan with this week's teaching.
1: Father, we come to you this morning, again, just thanking you for the privilege and honor it is to be here in this place today. Father, we thank you for the week of rest that so many of us have had, and Lord, uh, we just thank you so much for that. But Lord, it's so good. It's so good to be with your people this morning, to be praising you in song and praising you in the word this morning, and Lord, we thank you for that time. We pray, Lord, that uh, you'd be with the offering now as, as our ushers come forward. And Lord, I pray that you would bless this time together, Lord. It's, it's an honor and a privilege again to be able to give back a portion of what you've blessed us with. Father, we don't take that lightly. We thank you for your bountiful, bountiful blessings that you bestow upon us each and every day of our lives. Lord, I pray for Brother Allen as he comes in just a few moments and brings the message, Lord, that you've laid upon his heart. Lord, we just thank you for what we've already heard today and Lord, what we're going to hear here in just a moment. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We give you glory. We give you honor. We ask all these things in your precious and holy name. Amen.
2: Well, amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise today because he's good. He's worthy. So glad that you're here today. Well, this morning we're going to continue uh, in this message series that is entitled All Things to All People. Uh, this is really a message series about having a heart for people, about being what people need for us to be. There's things that we that we not compromise. There's things that we stand on that we uphold as true. But then there's times and there's seasons and occasions where, in order for people to know the love of Christ more fully, or maybe to know the love of Christ for the first time, they simply need us to be something for them. This comes from Paul's heart when Paul said, I have become. All things to all men, so that I may by all means save some. His heart was for people to know Christ's love. And so he would bend. uh, He would flex. He would adjust. uh, He would try to be what people needed him to be. And later he would say uh, to the believers in uh, Corinth where he sent that letter in first corinthians he would say and you all be imitators of me as he imitated christ because this was christ's spirit and this was christ's heart he he became one of us so that we might know the father and might know him today we're turning the page and the title of this morning's message uh, and i want to remind you where we've been too before i come up to this Uh, We talked about, you know, being a family or being a church in week one. Uh, Week number two, we learned that we are free to love. Uh, Last week, we learned that we are free to change. And if you did not hear that message last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. In fact, we may have some folks who are uh, watching on Facebook live stream this morning, their car driving back from Uh, Somewhere, maybe the beach today, or uh, they're at home recuperating. Uh, We got some folks probably joining us online even now. So if you didn't hear last week's message about being free to change and really the need to change, uh, go back and listen to that. And then today, free not to judge. So let's turn to Romans 14. Paul would write, and he would say, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt, the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls? And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord. And he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat. And gives thanks to God. Uh, Father, we thank you for what we have already experienced, what we have already enjoyed in your spirit this morning. And Father, I pray that everyone here has been blessed and encouraged by uh, the gathering together of brothers and sisters and friends and maybe even people we've met for the first time. I just pray that everyone here has sensed your spirit and has sensed your love and, and, uh, Lord, that they would feel like this is a place they call or can call home. So, Father, we thank you. what we've already experienced and father we pray that even now that your spirit would be our teacher that we would examine the written word uh, to know the heart of the living word jesus and so father we pray that you would guide us and direct us and teach us in this time we give you our hearts we give you our minds uh, and we do all things for your glory and we pray this in the name of jesus amen and amen uh, before we get back to the text today, let me just take a second to to say how, how many congregations this morning uh, might be able to gather and, and have in that service two uh, Marshall County state champions in Kentucky High School. I mean, I think we've got, uh, we've got one former state champion with us this morning, and we also have the current most recent state champion... Uh, Mr. J. Nemo, who won the state championship yesterday. And I, and I share this. I share this. And I don't always get to share, you know, the accomplishments and the things of, of our body and our people. And, and, and we know that. But, but whenever uh, somebody from the body of Christ uh, is able to do great things, or God does great things through them, uh, the Lord is to be praised. He's to receive glory, and somehow, some way, we believe that in whatever they're doing, whatever they're doing uh, not only are they reflecting the love and the glory of God, but they also uh, carry us, the body of Christ, with them, and they also uh, bring honor and glory, you know, to the Lord's bride, His church. And so let's do that again. Let's just thank God for, I mean, just these guys and, and the body of Christ and opportunities that God gives to us to not make our names great, even though he might do that in the process, in a sport, an event, or whatever it may be, but really, really, really to make his name great uh, through our lives. Amen? Amen? Amen. Wow, I'm excited about today. I really am excited about this. After the first service this morning, I told a lot of people, I said, I felt like I bit into an elephant, and the elephant has been running me down the road ever since I bit into it. So we are excited about the message today and where we are in this, but I must say to you, uh, this is a very convicting uh, message series, and I want you to understand the difference between conviction and condemnation. You know, sometimes the, uh, we will feel certain things, and we might feel what we call conviction, but we may feel very guilty about something, or we may feel condemned about something. And I just want you to know that the evil one, uh, he's the one, uh, the spirit of darkness. I mean, he's the one who's the master of condemnation. Uh, he'll make you feel guilty about things. He'll rake you over the coals. Uh, he'll make you feel good for nothing. Uh, he'll speak condemnation into your life. But the Holy Spirit will speak conviction into your life. And conviction is like a holy nudge. It is like a nudge that moves us closer to God's heart. So maybe we've been walking in a season or something's happened in our life and, and we were not pursuing God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes along and He says, Hey, listen, there's a better way. Not only will I show you the better way. Not only will I show you the better way. But I will do the better way through you. If you'll trust me. Uh, This is not something you need to do or can do of your own strength. Because if you do, you're going to fail. But if you'll trust me and yield to me, I will lead you to a better way. uh, That is closer to the heart of the Father. So the Holy Spirit, He convicts, but it's like these loving nudges and pushes along the way to God's heart. The enemy, he condemns and actually puts, pushes us further from God's heart. So I hope you know the difference between the two uh, in your life. This has been a very convicting uh, series to me. Uh, because it's, it's causing me, it's forcing me to grow. And a lot of times that's what the Holy Spirit does through conviction. He, he pushes us and he causes us to stretch and to grow. All things to all people. You know, a lot of folks are traveling back today from fall break. Maybe some folks are still wherever they might be. Uh, Traditionally, we like to go down south to the beach around uh, Gulf Shores, but today, uh, this past week, we did something different than we've ever done before as a family. Uh, Katie got to join us this past Thursday, so glad that she's in town with us. Uh, that's, man, that's been a high, one of the highlights of my week is having my daughter back home for a few days. But um, we went to the Hillman Ferry Campground uh, this past week and enjoyed the camping experience out there. And that was a lot of fun. So today, a lot of people are doing one of two things. They're trying to get the sand out of their car or they're trying to get the smoke out of their clothes. It's one of two things this morning, right? Uh, and I can just remember all the past vacations, experiences we've had. And I can remember like when we'd go to the beach. And my goodness, we would have a you know a long drive to get there, and I can remember finally getting there and walking out, you know, onto the beach. Uh, you feel the cool sand under your toes, and you stand there and you and you just feel the breeze of you know coming off the ocean, and you just stretch out your arms, and man, it's just you've you've made it. You your your journey it led you to a certain place. You, you've made it, and it's so. It is so freeing. There's just a sense of great liberty and freedom to stand there. Or maybe if you went camping, you know, and you've done everything you need to do, get everything ready. I felt like we had to pack the whole house, you know, to get it there. I needed three U-Hauls and instead of my truck and a trailer. I mean, it's just crazy. But you finally get there and you got the campfire made and you finally sit down and you just go, ah, you know, finally we made it. It's just such freeing there's such a sense of liberation when you when you when you when you arrive at the destination but here's the truth the truth is that you're no more free when you stood there with your toes in the sand than you were when you left the house and you're no more free when you're sitting there and you're getting choked out by the campfire but you're loving every minute of it because you know a s'more is going to follow. Then when you rent the house, packing up the camper and loading up everything to go, you're no more free. You were just you were just experiencing your freedom in a different way. But you had you had to make a journey in order to get there. Now I can remember when we would go to the beach and and we would uh, know a couple of other families. You know when when they finally got over the fear of going to the beach with the preacher. When they finally got over that, we could talk to them more freely because they, you know, for whatever reason, they just didn't know if they would have a good time if the preacher was there. But anyway, we would go there, and we'd finally get that freedom and start texting them back and forth and be like, hey, where are you? And, and somebody might say, well, you know, we are in Nashville. Oh, my gosh, you still have a long way to go. Or somebody might be in Birmingham. Or then you, you check with somebody else, and they're coming down through Mississippi. And then you finally get there and, and everybody gets settled in, and you start, comparing, you start comparing notes about how you got there. And somebody might say, well, you know what? Uh, we took I-65, you know, Nashville, Birmingham. We went that way, and let me tell you, it was bumper-to-bumper bumper traffic. Even talked to my neighbor boys yesterday afternoon when I got home. And I was like, hey, guys, what time did y'all get home? They were like yesterday at 7 a.m. At 7 a.m.? They said, yeah, we left like at 10 o'clock the night before to avoid all the traffic. I, said, I get you. I'm feeling you, bro. I'm feeling you. Yeah, traffic's crazy. Or well, somebody might say, you know what? We, we didn't go 65. We didn't go 65 to get here. We took Highway 45 through Mississippi. And let me tell you, that's just the best way to go. You know, we didn't have much traffic. And then somebody else says, well, wait a minute. We took Highway 45 last year. And I'm telling you, through those little towns, and we got behind every tractor and every cow in the road. And I'm telling you, we're not ever doing And so it's like, well, which way, you know, really is the best way to get there? And there can be debate as to which way is really the best way to do it. But sometimes based on circumstances... It's hard to say there's a right way and there's a wrong way. This teaches us, in the text that we're going to look at today, teaches us that for many of us today, for all of us, we're at different places along the way in the journey. Some of us might even be on different roads. And we're seeing things and we're experiencing things spiritually and in life that people who took the other road, they didn't see. And they didn't experience. And they don't know about. But somehow, some way, we're going to arrive at the same place. In Romans chapter 14. I think Paul's speaking to that. I think he's speaking to the fact that in Christ, we're in different places. And even in Christ, some of us may even have different convictions about different things. But yet there is a prevailing attitude and heart that we are to have toward one another. No matter which road or which way or where we might be specifically on our journey. In Paul's heart, big picture, big picture. All things to all people that by all means might save some. I think Paul's heart. Was clearly for people who were far from God to come to Christ. Jew, Gentile, when he thinks about those who were far away, he's thinking about the Gentiles. And it was God's heart for them to be brought in to know salvation in Christ, to experience freedom in Christ. Paul's heart was for those who were far away, Gentile, but also the Jew. Who we might say in many respects were close, very close, but not close enough. The law could not save them. The law could not redeem them. They had to find faith in Messiah, in Christ too. So his heart, in being all things to all people, was to reach the Gentile, but also to reach the Jew. Here's the other side of his heart. The other side of his heart was. But once those who have been far come in and once those who were close but not close enough have come in. How are the two going to live together in the body of Christ? How are they going to get along? How will they together? Watch this. Maintain peace and unity in the body. And I would imagine we have no idea, no clue, how big of a challenge this was in Paul's ministry. But here's what he knew he knew. That as they come together, as they came together in the body of Christ. They would still be at different places. Some would have convictions about some things. Some would have convictions about other things. And then some would have convictions about other things altogether different. So how do you take those who have conviction here... And these who have conviction here, and these who have conviction here, but yet their convictions don't just differ, but perhaps even clash. What is the guide? What is the heart for maintaining peace and unity when people are at different places? along the road, in the journey. So he writes in Romans 14, beginning in verse 1, after leaving a section about love, about the importance of loving your neighbor as yourself. And for those who would perk up from a Jewish perspective, he would say, and don't you know, loving your neighbor as yourself you're fulfilling a huge part of the law when you do that. So, so love one another. And then in verse 1 of chapter 14, he takes it beyond love. He says, except. Look here with me in uh, Romans 14, verse 1. He says, now except the one who is weak in faith he's careful to note that there is a brother or sister in christ who is weak in faith this reminds us of 1 corinthians chapter 8 when he talked about being free to love and what you need to be to the brother or sister in regard to eating meat that had been offered to idols in paul's conclusion there was if me eating meat causes my brother or sister in Christ to stumble and to eat in such a way that would bring a sense of, of condemnation to them because their conscience would be violated, then Paul said, I will never eat meat again. Love wins out over liberty, but yet when love wins out over liberty, liberty is elevated to a greater experience because Paul would come to realize, just as I'm free to eat meat, I'm free to love my brother And I'm free not to eat meat. This sounds very similar to that because Paul there identifies that brother or sister as being a weaker brother or sister. And here he identifies a brother or sister as being weak in faith. He asks the question, what causes them to be weak? It's not that they're not equal in Christ. That's not the point. That they're less in Christ or they're not equal in Christ. But they're just at a different place in this journey. There are some things they don't know yet. There are some truths that that haven't become revelation to them. They haven't experienced some truth in their life. They haven't experienced some freedom in their life. They're not as far along on the journey as you might be. They're weaker in that sense, but they're not lesser. And you're, listen to this, and you're not better. Because it's real easy at time to think, well, I'm this far along on the journey, and I've learned this, I've discovered this, and this is where I am. This is how I see things. I'm better. Paul would come back and Paul would say, no, you're not. There's only one thing that commends us to God." It's not where you are on this journey. It's simply your faith in Christ. And faith in Christ alone is what commends you to God. But still, you might be at a different place than a brother or sister who is nonetheless weak in faith. So he says, accept the one. Who's weak in faith. To accept means to embrace. It means to take in. To see truly as an equal. And in accepting and taking in and seeing as equal. There's going to be the, the, the maintaining, if you will, of unity in the body of Christ as you do this. They're still weak. Because they don't know some things yet. But they're equal. You accept the one who is weak in faith. And not for, he says, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Now, you know and I know that everyone has a opinion, right? Everyone has an opinion. I mean, just like when you go to the beach and you say, hey, which way should you go? And someone says, well, you know what? My opinion is you take 45. Somebody else says, no, 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 no. I think I feel like you take 65. And someone could say, well, an opinion is a matter of personal taste. What is your your personal opinion? What is your personal opinion? preference and applied spiritually, applied spiritually, do you think you have personal preferences and do you think you have personal opinions about things spiritually that might, you think, help you to feel closer to God, to sense that you're walking in the spirit more? But I think this is more than opinions, folks. Listen to me. I think Paul is using this with a stronger sense. I think the sense that he's using it in the an opinion that actually that actually is rooted in a conviction. You see, a an opinion is something that you have, but a conviction is something that has you. When something is a conviction. You have a sense within yourself, a determination that this is right or that is wrong. It is a spiritual conviction that it makes you feel closer to God, makes you stronger in the spirit, maybe even honors God more worships Him better, glorifies Him greater, makes Him known better, edifies, builds you up more. And it's real easy when we arrive at certain convictions to feel like this is not just my standard, but it's God's standard. And then when you feel like you've arrived there or you see a certain standard, but then you see someone else in the body of Christ who's not operating there, it becomes real easy to pass judgment on their lives. And let's be clear about this in the text. Passing judgment... Is not just calling something what it is. I mean, you and I, we, we, we judge all the time. We're constantly judging. You're driving down the road, the light turns red, it's your judgment, discernment. You just stop. You made a judgment. You go, you look at your bank account, and you're thinking about making a particular purchase. And you look at your bank account, you look at how much money you have in the bank, and you make a judgment. You're constantly making judgments. This is not just calling things for what they are. But when we're talk, when Paul's talking about passing judgment, it's calling something that you think it is with a view to passing a sentence. Upon somebody else's life. Passing a sentence. That's the judgment he's talking about. It carries with it a sense or a hint. Of looking down upon them. Or even condemning them. So Paul says. "Except The one who is weak in faith. But not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. And then he gives a context. Something specific that they were dealing with. He says, one person has faith. Faith. This is spiritually rooted. One person has faith that he may eat all things. But he who is weak eats vegetables only. Now, Paul's not talking about dietary preferences. He's not talking about, are you a vegetarian or vegan, whatever. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about dietary feelings or convictions that are spiritually rooted. And you're sitting there going, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Well, for most of us coming from a Gentile background, no big deal. But for those who had been close, but were Close enough. But now are in Christ the Jew. You got to understand. That they came out of a history. And a tradition. That was based on being kosher. Eating certain foods. Not eating certain foods. There were foods that were clean. There were foods that were unclean. And you would not want to eat something that was unclean. That would defile you under the law of God. The Mosaic law. A conditional covenant. The Jews grew up. With these convictions about food. So when the church pulls out the great potluck at the buffet. And all the Gentiles are coming to the buffet. And, and they did not grow up. And they did not have these convictions in their background. But they were taught, hey, it's, you can eat Anything. And they're walking up to the potluck and the buffet and they're enjoying it. And certain Jews are are holding back going, man, we just, no, I don't think so. This was a conviction that they had. They could not at this point in time where they were on the journey. They could not freely eat. And it wasn't just a matter of preference. It was a deeply rooted spiritual conviction that they had not grown out of. And you say, well, did God, is it okay just for them to stay there? And the answer is no, because here's the thing. Peter, of all the apostles, would know this background. Would ha- he personally had this heritage and this history. And when God started opening up the gospel to Gentiles, Peter... Was resistant. So God gave him a great vision. And he lowered down a sheet. And there were animals on the sheet. And there was a voice that came and said. Peter arise. Kill and eat. And Peter being the Jew. Says no God. I'm not going to eat anything unclean. the, The voice comes back and says. Hey what I have called clean. You shall not call unclean. In other words. The gospel goes to the Gentiles who we once regarded as Jews as being unclean. You can go to them, but also in regards to food and what you eat, you're free in Christ to eat anything. So there's a place for truth. There's a place for teaching and there is a place for growth. There is a place for us helping one another along on this journey. If there wasn't a place for that, I would not be standing in front of you today. But the heart here is how do you treat others when they're at different places than where you are? That's the heart here. So he says, one person has faith that he may may eat all things in verse 2, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Now, you and I, we may not be able to identify or relate to kosher laws or dietary restrictions spiritually, but I bet there's other issues that you and I can relate to that we've been exposed to throughout our lives. What is right? What is wrong? What should you do here? What should you not do there? Let me give you an example. For some of us who might have grown up in a uh, somewhat of a, a legalistic faith and legalistic tradition, we might have been taught throughout our lives that it was wrong to work on Sunday. We might have been taught that Sunday was the Sabbath. And in order to honor the Sabbath, we would not need to work on Sunday, a couple of things that are kind of haywired about that is number one, the Jewish Sabbath is Saturday. It's always been Saturday. It's never changed. There's nowhere from a biblical perspective where the Sabbath becomes Sunday. But yet in some of our traditions, we were taught that Sunday is the new Sabbath. And therefore to honor the Sabbath... You should not work on Sunday. Principle of the law, the old covenant. Many of us grew up with that. But what's interesting about that is you notice how people might even change in regards to that. For example, you might, I've, I've known of people who were so convicted and convinced it was wrong to work on Sunday. But then their son, or I mean, which you couldn't work at a restaurant or anything. But then their son or daughter, because of financial reasons, finally got a job at the plant or had to work as a waitress on Sunday. And then all of a sudden, their their feelings about it begin to change. And they're not as harsh on it or as judgmental on it. And it wasn't wasn't, uh, uncustom or uncommon for someone to come along and say, well, the ox was in the ditch. And if the ox is in the ditch, then it's okay to work on Sunday. But then you can justify the ox being in all kinds of ditches and you can justify all kinds of oxes. And if your son or your daughter is in a financial ditch, then they can work on Sunday and they're not violent. so, So we begin to, you see how people will change and fluctuate on some of these convictions over time. Is it right? Is it wrong? There's others of these. Here's one that I think is highly, highly, highly controversial. And I do think. I think there is a clear biblical standard and position. But you'll notice how people in their spiritual convictions begin to change when things become personal. For example, you might find someone who says, you know... Divorce is always wrong. And they'll say, and it's true, God hates divorce. And some people have taken that even a step further and they've said, and they've implied, not only does God hate divorce, but if you divorce, God hates you. And whether people have said that or not, I know that there have been people who have felt that way. They felt like the church hated them, they felt like God hated them. What people fail to understand on this is that God was in a marital covenant relationship with Israel and Judah. Israel and Judah were not faithful. In their covenant relationship with God, which is called biblically a marriage. And in the book of Jeremiah, and you can find this around Jeremiah chapter 8, you know what God does? God actually writes a certificate of divorce to Israel and Judah. God experienced and he went through a divorce. So if a perfect God can go through and experience divorce. I think there's hope for us. You share something in common with God. And he knows about the pain of it. And he knows about the challenge of that. But guess what this is well. Even though God goes through that. With Israel and Judah, he will take Israel and Judah back into himself in the millennium. He will bring her back as his bride. But notice this as well. Even though God goes through that, it never disqualifies God from being God. Oh, wait a minute now, God. You went through divorce, therefore you can no longer serve as God. God's never disqualified by that. But yet, some people in the church have taken certain convictions and stances and have said, if you go through a divorce, and yeah, the Lord will forgive you, but you cannot serve in different or certain capacities because you went through a divorce. It didn't disqualify God. Why do we think it disqualifies people? And unfortunately, the church has often treated people who've gone through that as second-class citizens. And I will stand right here, and I will stake a ministry on the gospel of grace, and I will say, there is nothing that qualifies you, and there's nothing that disqualifies you. The Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't just desire to be the Lord of your future, but He's the Lord of your past. His grace will reign over your entire life. And some of the very people in Scripture that the church today would disqualify were the very people that God qualified to change the world. People who murdered and people who committed adultery and people who were involved in many, 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 what we would deem as worse things God used their lives. We are all one. We are all equal in Christ, no matter what your background is or what you've been from or what you've been through. And the church of God should stand and give the Lord a hand clap of praise because that is the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are no second class citizens in the body but what do we do in regard to the different convictions? We still love. And we don't pass judgment. I think the hardest part of this is actually in in verse 3 and I want to give you one more as well and there's several other things. You know, I kind of grew up and and I heard, you know, um, not necessarily in my church growing up, but I heard around and in the Christian church that it was wrong to get a tattoo. And I mean, I I, I know of and I've, I've heard, I've seen people get really, 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 you know, vigilant and hostile about it. If you get if you get a tattoo, you're sinning against God. And they would use Leviticus 19 verse 28. And I'll pull this up for you on the screen. This is again from the Mosaic law. This was to Israel, never given to a Gentile audience. And never given to the body of Christ. But to the Jew under the law. You shall not make any cuts in your body for the dead. Which that's not an issue I know of. Anybody's dealing with it right now. I mean cutting could be an issue. But here's the next part. Here's the next part. Nor make any tattoo marks on yourselves. To Israel, the Lord said, I am the Lord. So people in the church would say, well, well, if you get a tattoo, you've sinned against God because of Leviticus 19, verse 28. There it is. That's what the Bible says. Paul would come along and he would address people who were coming out of the law who were confused about the law and the grace. And in Romans chapter 6, he would write, and this is extremely important, he would write and say in Romans 6 verse 14, he said, For sin shall not be mastered over you. For you're not under law. I'm going to stop right there. For you're not under law. Why is he talking about sin and law in the same breath? And the reason he's doing that is because the law empowers sin. And many people think that religious rules, religious uh, uh, regulations, they keep people in check and they keep people behaving the right way. But they don't. The law was not for the righteous man. The law was for the unrighteous, Paul wrote and told Timothy. Because the law causes sin to grow. So that people would realize they need help. And they need a savior. So the association with sin and law is is one that you cannot cut or divide. Wherever there is law and a heavy handedness in these religious rules and regulations, you're going to find within people a resistance to that and they will rebel. The law can show you sin, but the law can never empower you not to sin. That's why you need Jesus. The Holy Spirit will empower you to live righteously and to live holy. The Holy Spirit leads you to the heart of God. But it happens under the next part of this. You're not under law, but under grace. You're under grace. And grace heals. And grace forgives. And grace redeems. Grace motivates. It leads. It instructs. And it will empower you and give you a passion for the heart of God. Grace does not give a license to sin. It sets you free to enjoy the person of Jesus. So Paul would let him know in the church. You're not under law. You're under grace. So I know a minister who decided to get a tattoo, and he got the tattoo on his right forearm, just kidding, just kidding, okay, I thought you might chuckle over that, sorry, it's on this arm, no, I'm just kidding, there's not one there, so anyway, so anyway, so I know a, a minister who got a tattoo, and you know what he got a tattoo of? Right on his arm. Leviticus nineteen twenty-eight. He didn't do that for spite or to be ugly. He did it as a teaching tool because he knew that people would come to him and say, Hey, what's on your arm? And he would share with them Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28. And then he would let them know. But listen to me. Religion puts you under law but let me introduce you to Jesus who puts you under grace and he actually uses his tattoo as a method of teaching and instructing people to find grace in Christ but what do you do? When you still have folks who say, but I think it's wrong to get a tattoo. Or they say, I think it's wrong to work on Sunday. Or they say, it's wrong to eat pork. The prevailing principle still stands. You do not judge or look down upon contempt, with contempt, of your brother or your sister in Christ no matter where they might be in this journey, and this is how we preserve peace and unity in the body of Christ. But I think the end of verse three is the hardest part. I'm gonna share One other thing, we're almost done. The end of verse three, I think, is the hardest part. I want this back up on the screen, please. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. So the person who's free, he's at the buffet, at the potluck, he's enjoying it. He looks over there. There's a group that they just they can't enjoy it. They're not there. Are y'all with me? Do not leave me here. It'd be easy for that one to go, hey, I'm free. And look over there and say, Ah, they're just not there yet. Poor pitiful them. And look down their nose with contempt. But here's the next part of this. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. God has accepted him the reason I think it's hard is because the one who does not eat is the one who stands there and says hey that's wrong to eat I'm right this is God's heart it's almost like Paul saying yeah you have this conviction you feel that you're right and you would die for this but even though you think you are so clearly right even you Do not judge the one who's exercising their freedom. We're going to come to this next week because he's going to appeal and use an illustration that is very powerful. And he's going to let them all know this in regards to where we are on this journey. The Lord Jesus Christ is sufficient to lead his people. The Holy Spirit is more than capable of being the Holy Spirit in your life, in my life. So many times we want to be the Holy Spirit in somebody else's life. And does God use us? Can God use us in love? Yes, when the motive is love. Yes, God can use us to help somebody to get out of Nashville to get to the beach. But if we ever think for a moment that God is not capable Himself then we do not know God. Each one will stand or fall before his own master and God is able to make each and every one of his children stand. That's God's business. It's an exercise of our faith to let God be God. Still available to be used when we can and how God wants us to. I think the end of verse three is probably the hardest part. I almost entitled this message, and I'm going to wrap up here playing softball with the Mennonites. And you're thinking, what in the world? So we were at the camp this week and we were sitting around a campfire. And I had noticed some Mennonite children riding their bicycles and you can tell by the, the way they dress and they have certain convictions. Love Jesus, but have certain convictions about dress and stuff. And you could identify them, you know. This is not condemnation by any means. And so some of our boys had been out and, and they came in, and were around the campfire and some of the boys sat down and they were out of breath. And we said, guys, what in the world have you been doing? And one of the guys' boys said, We've been playing softball with the Mennonites. And I'm like, you were doing what? And they're like, yeah, over on the big field over there. You know, the, the Mennonites were over there and they were playing softball. And we decided to play softball with the Mennonites. And the boy said, and let me tell you, that mama had the bun on top of her hair. When she pulled up her skirt over her knees, she could run and she was fast. I just thought that was the greatest thing ever. Playing softball with the Mennonites. And realizing that they're people. And maybe today you're a Mennonite. I don't know. Or you're Presbyterian. Or you got a Methodist background or or you're trying to come out of paganism or whatever. I think Paul was trying to help the church to figure out how to play softball with each other. To keep the essentials of the gospel, the essentials of the gospel. But when it comes to the non-essentials, to always demonstrate mercy, grace, forgiveness, forgiveness and non-judgmental attitudes of thinking that you're better than somebody else because of what you know. Well, we're just getting started, so please stand with us. We're just getting started. We're coming back to this next week. We're just getting started. You're going to take a 10-minute break, and we're going to do another hour and a half. I'm just kidding. We're going to come back to this next week because I knew, I knew when I sunk my teeth into Romans 14 this week, I knew this was going to be big, but also hopefully very, very liberating each one to have their own conscience. It's sticky, it's messy, but that seems to be where God is always operating. So I want you to bow with us this morning and Cody's going to pray us out and you'll be dismissed. Before you go, just a couple of things real quick. Uh, if you ever have a prayer concern or a need, uh, please spot one of our prayer counselors or the folks who have the identifiable name badges around them. If you have a need that you want on the prayer list, see one of those folks and they'll put it on the prayer list for you. Uh, also, next week at 1040, and I want to say this too, you know, we, uh, God continues to bless us even though this is the second week of fall break. Uh, we're still seeing new people every single week here, and we want to be good stewards of the people God brings our way. Uh, first service is doing great. I mean, there's great spirit in that service, and I've seen new people come into that service. There's room in that service uh, for folks. Uh, if you're looking for a little bit more uh, elbow room, there's room in the first service. And so uh, we are going to actually offer a new a class. Jay and Bobby Green, Jay Larkin and Bobby Green, start a new class next Sunday at 1040 uh, on the... Uh, Foundations of Faith and Your Identity in Christ. They're going to start this up new next Sunday. If you're interested in that class, we'd love for you to come. And please do this. Invite your neighbors. Invite your friends. All things to all people. Reach out to people who need to hear the gospel of grace and bring them to church. Invite them uh, to come. Great tool you have. The personal invite. Cody.
0: All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church sermon podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening and God bless.